This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention sports fans. Are you a fan of an NFL team? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice, up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. That's it. Once you've done that, you've been officially registered to win the four free tickets to any Week 1 NFL game. So what are you waiting for? Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action. The contest ends on September 4th. Hello, hello, hello. Today's episode of All Facts, No Cap. We have Mike Hill in studio, host for Fox Sports 1, does college football, college basketball, professional baseball. Uh, Mike, tell me, did I is there a sport that I missed? Because it seemed like you all over the place with everything. I try and be as versatile as possible. Man. I've done UFC, I've done boxing. I, I think I've done everything except swimming. You know what? I haven't done, uh, I, I, was, I was at this uh, basketball practice the other day. And they got delayed because they was playing volleyball. And I didn't know what game, how, how many points they went to volleyball. So I haven't mm-hmm. done So I know that. I know I haven't done volleyball. <laughs> and, you know, that actually leads me to my first question. With somebody that's been as versatile as you, probably the most versatile broadcaster in all of sports media, and even you doing things like off-Broadway, obviously you did the voiceover for Dion's book. Tell me where that comes from or what brought you to being so versatile. Is that something that you felt like you always had to do? Is it something that just comes natural? Just go ahead and tell me about it because that's something I've always admired from you. Oh, thank you, man. I, I really feel like it's there's room to expand in everybody, anything we do. I, I've always wanted to be one step ahead of the people who are out to try and get you to, to cut you off mm-hmm. from the things that you feel like you're doing at that particular time. So I figured if you know I got let go from one job, I'd have three or four other jobs left. And I think the versatility is what's kept me around in this business for a long period of time. It's not just like being stuck into one thing. I, even when I went to ESPN, I never wanted to just be a sports center anchor. I wanted to be a host. I wanted to do it all around. I wanted to do some things behind the scenes as well. Uh, and where it came from is just like, just I've always just felt like, man, I, I get bored sometimes, to be honest with you, Stanford. I get it. I just feel like, man, I, I'm doing this. And like, what what else can I do? What else can I be achieving? And yeah, maybe if I just stuck with one thing, maybe I get really good at that. But I just feel like there's something inside of me that tells me I need to be as versatile as possible so that I can just have my hands in every uh, every pot that there might be out there when it comes to this business. You know, just looking at everything that you've done over the course of your career, and obviously, like I was just saying, you know, doing things off Broadway, things like that, 
and just the versatility, it takes me back to my playing days with the Raiders and the Chiefs, the Texans. And there's always this this notion that everybody has in their mind as as an NFL player is they always say the more you can do. And I would imagine it's probably some sort of correlation in everything that you're saying in the same thing with having the pads and the helmet on it. The more you can do, that's the more valuable you are. And then that's the more that they'll actually keep you around longer. Think about this. How many of your teammates made it on to an NFL roster because they, they were on special teams? You know what I mean? Many. I mean, many, many. Yep. And they were, they were superstars in high school, superstars in college, but they made an NFL roster because they was on special teams and they committed to that, even though special teams is maybe the team that the least team that you want to be on or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to play a position. You want to be a starter in one of those positions. But sometimes you just got to be in the building. Sometimes you just got to be on the football field and then work your way up to that and then learn from that, man. So I've always known that, you know, like some safeties become, I mean, cornerbacks become safeties. Yep. You know, uh, some <laughs> of them become line safeties, become linebackers. Yep. Whatever. You have to, especially on the offensive line, you might go from left tackle, but you should know how to play guard or whatever. A quarterback is always going to be a quarterback. But, you know, these days, look at running backs. Running backs got to kind of be more of a wide receiver yes. instead of just running so the football true. in order to be valuable, man. So the more versatile you are, uh, the more people are going to want your your talents uh, because they'll figure, okay, well, why do I have to hire three people to do this when I can get him? I can pay him a lot more money and, you know, he can do all these different jobs out there. So, you know, that's, that's just been something that's been uh, paramount uh, for my life and my career. Speaking of football, obviously we know within collegiate sports, football is what drives it. Obviously you have your basketball blue bloods, but we know that football is the driving force. And when I think of college football right now, it's, it's like the wild, wild West. It's like anarchy. And I want to get your take on right now, next year, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. USC will be playing Ohio state on a, Ordinary Saturday morning in mid-October. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on the conference realignment that's going on and just permeating all throughout college football right now. Or should should I say collegiate sports right now? So loaded because, you know, there's the good and the bad. Obviously, you'll miss out on some of the the rivalries that might be out there that you've gotten used to over the years. But now newer rivalries will develop. Like you said, who's to say that UCLA or USC and, and Michigan won't become a rival? rivalry because they're in the same conference now uh it'll be interesting to see how you know the west coast teams adapt to earlier playing times i, I don't know if the ncaa or if or, you know the different schools will have a say so i know the uh the the broadcast stations whoever had the broadcast rights will have the, the right to say what time they play each other or whatnot but uh that's going to be huge for the travel of these students but uh, i think the the realignment what it has done is shown us that it's a business and they're not afraid yes. to stick to business anymore uh with the nil coming out finally last year they were able to get these the students uh, the athletes uh the money that they deserve to be honest with you to be able to uh, make money off their name image and their likeness and in the ncaa when it comes to college sports especially college football and college basketball we had known for years it has always been a business they just didn't want to say it Yep. And now we're not afraid to say this is all <laughs> about business because that's all it's about. It's about business. And these major conferences making money so you can have super conferences so you can get bigger contracts when it comes to the broadcast, right? Going into the pockets of all these schools or whatever. So, hey, if that's what it is, as long as the players are getting their due, I'm good with it too. And I love what you just said about the players getting their due. That leads me to my next question. And 
the NIL is now just taking over collegiate sports. You look at Angel Reese for the LSU Tigers, the basketball team. She's like getting over a million dollars from NIL and things like that. Obviously much deserved. And then don't even get me started on what football players are making that are still going to class at 9 a.m. as collegiate student athletes. I want to get your take on this. You tell me how this lands with you. And I love the NIL because student athletes should not be struggling to eat dinner at nighttime. They shouldn't be eating Raymond noodles and the coaches over here making 10, 12, $15 million a year. And when I look at how now there's no governing body, it's just kind of like the wild, wild West. And now there's no rules. There's no, there's no, there's no governing body of any sort to regulate everything that goes on. And that's what a lot of college uh, coaches have been griping about. And Tell me where this lands with you, because obviously the top guys are going to get the bulk of all the NIL money. And then the lesser players may not get any, if not just some of it. And Mm -hmm. with amateurs, we're talking about 19 year old kids that Mm -hmm. are now dealing with what we as grown men have to learn once we enter the job market of, Hey, you know what? He's better than you. He's more marketable. That's why he's going to get paid more. And Understanding that dynamic at 19, 20, 21 years old, what makes me nervous is the mental health aspect of it, mm-hmm. where now all of a sudden a kid is not getting as much money as a person that he's getting dressed right next to in the mm-hmm. locker room. And now all of a sudden he feels less, he feels inadequate. He feels mm-hmm. inferior. And now all of a sudden the mental health issues come into play, which you and I both know that could just open up another myriad of Pandora's box. And I love the NIL deals. I love the the thought process of it, but I feel like there needs to be some sort of regulation. There needs to be some sort of mindset. There needs to be some sort of protocol that's put into place because that seems like it's on the horizon and it's inevitable, the downsides that possibly could be coming to this NIL free-for-all that we're now seeing. And Stanford, you know as well as I do, that's coming. I mean, there's going to be some kind of, you know, uh, prohib- pro- prohibition when it comes to uh, the amount of money that these players are able to make, some kind of cap. I mean, they got salary caps right yeah. now uh, in a lot of sports, and I think that's going to happen when it comes to uh, college athletes. I don't know when it's going to come. Uh, they're still trying to figure out the college football playoffs, and that's even more money and all that type yep. of stuff. Like that. I think the teams – and the schools and the conferences got to get their business out of the way. And once they get their business out of the way and then everybody can see how much money is being made, then the players will say, okay, well, this is what's being made. This is what we make out of our likeness. And then maybe there's a college CBA. Who knows? That's gonna happen <laughs> but from a, a mental health aspect, also, that's a really good point that you made. Uh, but I think that's something that <clears throat> is important. And I hope a lot of these, uh, these, these programs are providing the mental health uh, tools necessary by having some therapists in there to talk to some of these guys, but you also see how it's affecting because the transfer portal is so yep. active and, and players who are, you know, stars in high school being beat out on the team may not be getting as much exposure, may not be getting the playing time, meaning they're not getting as much money or whatever. Now they're going to other schools to try and do that in order for them to get their shine as well. But this is also life. So we can't just look at it from a college football, the college basketball perspective, Angel Reese and everything like that. Hell, there are kids on TikTok making millions of dollars right yes. now. Yes. Kids on YouTube who are teenagers that are high school students who are making millions of dollars or whatever, and their classmates are looking at them. Now, there is something that, that there needs to come into play where you see 
some kids out there doing things that might be dangerous, these little pranks and stuff like that, you know, where they could really get hurt and they're making a lot of money off of it or whatever. So other kids are seeing this and they're seeing these guys making that kind of money. So they're almost like, in a sense, without the illegal term, the new drug dealers that we saw coming up. <laughs> yep. You know, uh huh. You see, coming up, we saw the drug dealers. We saw the people who were doing the illegal activities. Yeah. And we was like, man, I, I, I want to do that. Yeah, he's got the nice, he's got the newest bins. Yeah. New Nikes, they got, man, they got, oh, he's spinning, he got spinning rims. You know, yeah. I'm really myself back in there. You know what I mean? He got the new car, <laughs> that's how he's got new drip and all the girls love him or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's always been that aspect. It's just now that social media and the exposure that you can get from social media and the money and the business aspect that you can get from social media uh, comes into play. So, yeah, mental health, as you know, is huge on my list as far as like not only helping the kids, but helping everybody when it comes to dealing with that. And we also got to do a better job as adults of making sure that people understand that all things you see on social media ain't real. You know what yep. I'm saying? It really ain't real. And those people who are on there pretending to be living the greatest life in the world, they got problems just like you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So obviously with you as a father, but mm. it's just a grown man as a businessman. First, I'll just give, I'll tell you my take. Mm. I understand this new generation. I understand this new mindset, but I'm not sure that I love it. And for you, somebody, obviously you're from New York city and somebody that has had to grind, somebody that has had to work, somebody that's had to make sure, like you said, staying versatile. That way you're giving them more reasons to keep you rather than to just go ahead and push you out the door within this new generation where it's all about the instant gratification, where it's all about success before work. Where does that land with you as a grown man and as a father about the mindset, the ideology within this newfound generation, this new society that we're now part of? You know, it's scary, but I also understand that, you know, things change. You know, we have to adapt with society, too. You know, our generation is different from our parents' generation. You know, they had to adapt to us as well, you know. We always become, a, we're going to become our parents. You know, they got commercials <laughs> about that now. Like we, So yeah. I, I regulate it as much as I can, but I also let my kids have the freedom that I feel like they can have. As long as I give them the tools that are necessary to make sure that they're using social media and the exposure they may get from social media to the best of their advantage. Hell, I was on a reality show and I sort of exposed my kids. I hate to even use that word, but I had my kids on a reality show, which I hated doing, but it was part of the reality that my then wife was part of and that that, that needed to happen every now and then, or they would make a bigger deal out of it than it, it should have been. Um, but uh, we, we, we all you can do is just educate them as much as you possibly can, man. And, and just know, hey, look, this is out there and it could be the best tool uh, ever invented, which I believe that social media uh, is the best tool, but it's also the worst invention yep. ever because the, the the spotlight, when you get it and you get that exposure, it's great when people are loving you, but that gets hot as hell when people turn on you and yep. they start talking about you and saying certain things about you, man. So uh, I always tell my kids, don't read the comments. 
And if you read the comments, just realize that, hey, look at all these positive comments that are people saying about you and don't let that one or two negative comment get the best of you. So it's it's just um, it's important that we once again, like I know you educate and I know you're big on, on mental health. It's yeah. important that we continue to uh, live by example, first and foremost, but also uh, spread the information that we need to be spreading out there and, live, and be an example uh, that these kids need to see. Staying on the topic of social media and just simply being in the limelight and all of that, like what you just telling your daughters about, don't read the comments, don't fall, don't fall victim to the negativity. Still, you want to focus on the positivity. And one thing that I've been maybe once or twice in my life, kind of slightly, you know, been in that realm. Talk to me about the challenges that may come of having a public relationship especially yeah. in this generation with the social media, like you said, with the reality show, things like that. It's, it was tough, man. I, I'll be honest with you, man. You know, I, I've been a public figure for a long period of time. You know, people have known me, uh, a different audience has known me for a long Absolutely. time. When I was on ESPN and I got exposure doing that. So I had a separate group of people and they could be fans or fanatics or whatever, or they could be vitriolic every now and then. If you didn't like their team, they could say some things and it would mm -hmm. come out. When I got into the reality show space, I did it not necessarily because I wanted that exposure, just because I needed to support my wife at the time, right? And that was a whole new audience. And it was tough for me, I, I, I'll be honest with you, because I remember having a conversation with um, uh, Claudia Jordan, who I was doing a podcast with at the time. And Claudia Jordan was a cast member on Real Housewives of Atlanta one time. And she told me that when I was dating Cynthia, she said, if you go on that show, be careful. And I was like, please. Man, I've been on ESPN. <laughs> you don't even know the sports yeah. fans. And sports, I've, I've had my car threatened to have bombs put under my car and blown up and my kids, you know, annihilated from sports fans. I said, man, let me tell you something, bro. Ain't nothing like reality show fans, bro. <laughs> hey, I've, I've seen it. Different animal. Different. Yes. So I had to develop a, a different skin. So it was different phases to answer your question. The first phase was like, who's this guy? We've never seen him before, even though I've been on national television for 15 years. Mm -hmm. yep. We've never seen him before. He's only trying to use her. He's gay. He's this. He's a, he's, he's a, a what do you call that? That, that person, he's a, a, a opportunist. All these different words they were trying to do. And then being in the relationship and being on social media and putting our relationship out there uh, for the public to see, you know, we had a love. We had a genuine love for each other. So we put that out there and we want to display, hey, you find love after the age of 50. And that was our, not necessarily our campaign, but we want to use and show this is genuine. This is real. This is not just for a storyline, but this is a love story. Uh, and we want to encourage and be, uh, 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 you know, uh, proactive about, you know, trying to uh, uh, not necessarily just entertain people, but encourage people that you can do the same things that we're doing. So we tried to use that to our advantage in it. Got a lot of respect, a lot of love, but then it also got a lot of hate because, like, why y'all putting all your business on social media and why y'all saying this? Like, you can put your car, people put their cars, their Benzes, yeah. their Bentleys, they put their houses, they talk about all <laughs> the drip and all that stuff and how much they love this. They put their dogs yes. up there, but why couldn't I, as a grown man who was finally finding genuine love for a woman that I fell in love with, why couldn't I put Share my it with the world and show the world that? I'm in love and this, and you can do the same thing. We do now. And then there was the downfall because things didn't work out. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff that you hate that built up equity that you had here and all the people that were hating, they couldn't wait to say the trench yeah. tear you down because you were coming down. And then you disappointed all the people that you encouraged up there. So 
it was it was tough and it's still tough because you still go through it, man. But once again, uh, because I had that background in sports and because, you know, I, I believe in God, my spirituality, man, I just I, 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 I think everything that you go through uh, in life, if it's a burden, it's for a reason. And it turns out to be a blessing in the end. So I, I just look forward to the blessings that are coming and the, the life lessons that I'm learning from everything that I had to go through. I put my life out there on social media like that. You know, oftentimes people ask me, what advice would I get to give to my younger self? If I could just go back and just, you know, give that 19 year old kid some, some, some grown man advice. And I always think to myself, two things, a don't sweat the small stuff and B go for it. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about somebody laughing at you. Don't worry about somebody making fun of you. Just go for it. And don't mm -hmm. sweat the small stuff, the stuff that really matters. That's what really counts. All the other stuff, just throw it to the wayside. Okay, just grit your teeth. Maybe, you know, it kind of will bother you for a day or so. But in the end, what really matters, that's what's always going to stay with you in your head and in your heart. I would ask you the same question. If you had to make, if you had to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Know who you are, which I did know who I was in 19, but stick with who you are. Don't mm. let anybody discourage you from being who you are. I lost myself several times in my career, especially when I was at ESPN, because I was so afraid of trying to please other people, the bosses, that I just lost myself. And I wasn't myself at periods of time in my life. That's why it's funny to me when I when I talk to people and they they see that I got a little bit of a sense of humor or whatever, I'm like, oh, you're so funny. I thought you always come across so serious because at that time I had to come across, even though sports or whatever, sometimes like they, they want you to be so vanilla in a certain sense that yeah. I couldn't show my flavor. And when I showed my flavor, I got in trouble for it. And when you start losing a job and you're getting threatened that your job's going to be lost, man, then, mm -hmm. you know, kind of hold back. So if I could have done it all over again, I would have stayed with it. But the biggest uh, advice I would give myself is just be patient and know that God is able and know that eventually it's going to come and know that, just because you're getting no's now doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Sometimes you can get the right no's. That's I would I'd rather have I would rather have a lot of no's than the wrong yes. And I I mean mm. that. And I would have I would much rather have like twenty no's of things I think I want, and then instead of having that right yes, that that wrong yes of going into a job that's going to derail my career, that's not going to be anything that's good for me or whatnot. So I'd rather go through 99 no's in order to get the right yes. All you need is the right yes. So just be patient. I like and that. Some, it's, it's, it's helped me right now, man, because, you know, um, I'm going through a lot of things, like I said, over the last year and a half of my life. And I'm learning because I've learned to be patient and just wait and just do the job and the work that I need to do. Uh, in the meantime, to prepare myself for the next phase, man. It's helped me out immensely. But early on, I was anxious. I had to get up in the morning. I was just, I had so much anxiety, man, that anxiety turned to depression. The depression turned into a, a portion of me wanting to kill myself and just thinking I'm not uh, adequate enough and, and, and inadequacies led to me doing things that I shouldn't be doing as a married man back in the day. All this stuff was part of my mental health journey, man. And because I've gone through therapy, because I wrote the book, because I've worked on myself and I worked on my mental health and I worked on my just me knowing who I am and being whole and being a man, um, I'm patient. Now I'm just waiting and I'm like, okay, I'm doing my part, but I'm going to wait for the right thing to come along and not just anything. Man, listening to you say that, what resonates with me is my path that I've actually been through and that, that I've been on. And 
like what you just said, a lot of people underscore they under they underestimate the power or the magnitude of those mental traumas of those internal traumas, those demons that you deal with. And I go back to even my playing days when I stopped playing, I went through my own little bit of depression and it's because you go through almost like an identity crisis because Mm -hmm. for so long, I introduced myself as Stanford route football player. Well, Mm -hmm. now it's, what do I say? Stanford route, former player. Like that just doesn't sound, it it doesn't sound right. And the thing is, is that all athletes die twice. I remember reading a book one time uh, that had those exact words in it. And it's so true because you have to go ahead and you have to have the funeral. You got to have the wake. You got to go ahead and mourn that loss and come to terms with it. You got to accept it. That way you can actually make it through. And I tell you like this, Mike, going to therapy helped me get through that because for several years I was literally like a a walking zombie because I did well for myself. So when I was done playing, I didn't have to immediately hop into another job and me not hopping into another job gave me a lot of time on my hands. And you know, just like I know, and I don't mind it's a devil's workshop and I didn't grow. I was just basically just running in place. Like I wasn't really going backwards, definitely wasn't going forward. So everything that you're just saying that, that resonates with me about the mental health aspect, about the internal traumas, about the demons that we all deal with. And that kind of leads me to my next point with your book, open mic. And you talk about some of the troubles, some of the traumas that you've been through uh, throughout your life and how we as men, we're expected to be a brick house. We're expected to be made of stone where nothing ever phases us. Nothing ever gets to us. And just like my old man raised me, oh, son, uh, what are you doing crying? Son, men don't cry. Grown men don't cry. And how making sure that you're strong for everybody around you that may be seeing you oftentimes could really, really be breaking you down. So go ahead and expand on, uh, on just, uh, the open mic and the book and everything that, that, uh, that hasn't. Yeah. Like I said, I had, I had to write open mic, man. If I, if I didn't write, it didn't start off because I wanted to sell a million copies or be a bestseller. It was, I started off because I needed to write the book. If I wouldn't have written that book, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really feel that I would have, I would have died a long time ago because I was dying on the inside and didn't even know it living a good life, um, making good money, you know, smiling and being like the strong guy that everybody likes and yep. being like the party and smile and all that. And I <laughs> found myself going home and man, I would cry like a, like a baby, like tears streaming down my face. And I've I was, been there. I did not know why, like, why am I crying? What's wrong, man? I thought, man, I, I need to get some like testosterone. Am I getting estrogen? Am I going breast? What's going on? Like, I'm like, I need some tissue. And uh, finally, I just, something, a voice said, man, you got to write this book that you've been talking about for a long period of time. And I wrote the outline. And as I started writing it, man, it was just like a weight was being lifted off of my neck and my back. All this pain, depression that I didn't even realize that was inside of me that I had suppressed for so many years that many of us Mm -hmm. suppressed so many years because we learned to deal with it instead of expelling it. You know, you cannot heal what you don't reveal. And we always keep it inside. Just like you probably grew up. Don't tell people your business. Yep. Work. Don't talk to anybody. You're, don't be weak. Don't show any. Don't cry and all that type of stuff like that. So I, I put the book together when I wrote it, man. I didn't want to put it out because it was a lot of embarrassing stories in there. A lot of things I'm not proud of in my life. A lot of mistakes that I made. Uh, and some people told me I shouldn't put it out because 
you know, it could derail my career. But then there was other people that said, you need to put this out because you can help people. And so I wanted to help people. And I'm like, you know, if it derails my career, then so be it, man. I'm a type of person that like what's supposed to be God's will is going to be God's will. So I, I just want people, man, I think reading the book to understand that like I made mistakes. A lot of people make mistakes. A lot of black men, a lot of people, period, make a lot of mistakes. But here are the things that I did and I realized the things that I was doing and why I made those mistakes and how I was able to overcome it and how I was able to become the man that I'm still walking into being. I still don't consider myself a full grown man yet because I'm walking into my manhood. It didn't it started, you know, a couple of years ago that I started walking into my manhood. And I still, you know, stumble here and there every now and then, but I know how to get up now. I know how to brush myself off. I know how to look at my scars from my past and realize, okay, well, this is not gonna put me in a depression because I've been here before. And so now that I can look at these scars, I know, hey man, that scar is tougher than that skin that was once there. So mm -hmm. I think, man, it's it's important. And I'm not saying people just need to read my book for that, but uh, I, I think for us as men, black men especially it's important that we find something or somebody to talk to, you know what I mean? To relieve some of the stress that we all have on us, no matter what we think we can deal with. And the irony in that Stanford is that my best friend who I've been knowing for over 30 years, man, I just talked to him for the first time about therapy. And I didn't even really, cause he's always the gregarious one. So everything that you're talking about, the life of the party, the smiling one, yeah. those are the ones who really needed the most, man, because they put on this facade. How many times have you seen or heard about comedians who they mask all this pain on the inside, but they make you laugh. And then yeah. you find out that they died or they killed themselves, Robin Williams or whatnot. It happens a lot because we have found ways to mask our pain. And all I'm saying is like, it is not weakness to show tears when you're expressing yourself. It's work. It is work that you're putting inside yourself to express this, to get it off your chest, to relieve yourself from that pressure because it's not only killing you on the inside, it's going to have a physical toll on you and it's going to have a toll on other people around you because they feel that. So I am always encouraged. I think it's imperative for all of us to go out there, seek mental health. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. Yeah. Seek mental health assistance. There's a difference. Mental health is not crazy. It doesn't mean that you're looney tune. doesn't mean that it, there's a chemical imbalance. It just means, and it's not a cure. All it is, is you finding the, the reasons, the why behind certain behaviors in your life that you didn't even know existed that other people may have told you about. It is you looking yourself in the mirror and putting in the work to embrace it and say, here are my flaws. Why do I act like this? Why am I doing this? Where did it start and how can I fix it? And so that is not a cure, but it also is something that can help you to understand it so that it won't continue to happen again and you can get better. And then hopefully you go back and tell other people how they can help themselves as well. Damn it, Mike. I love hearing that. And I guess my, 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 my response would probably be a statement slash question, but it's like, and, and trust me, as a man has been in therapy, I'm spot on right there with you. And it's, it's really frustrating and annoying. And I don't exactly know why I feel like I have certain, uh, certain reasons that I believe uh, why that is, but like, 
within our community, it's just, it's not celebrated. It's treated like it's taboo. And I think that that affects so many people from wanting to go to therapy or just feeling like they even need to go to therapy. And just the thought of that as somebody who at one point in time, Oh no, I'm not going to therapy. I don't need that. And Mm. man, it's just so frustrating to know that, there's that many people that need it, especially from our community, black yep. men, especially. It's so frustrating to know that there's that many people that could use it, but are neglecting the opportunity just because of the stigma that comes with it. But, you know, and, and the stigma comes from just in the past. And, and, you know, a lot of people like men don't even go to the doctor for physical ailments because of things that's happened in the past. A lot of people won't go and take care of your mind the same way. If you if you hurt your knee and you don't know why your knee is hurting, but you're limping, you know, eventually the pain is going to be so bad that you got to go and get an x-ray. Yeah, you got to. Why won't you do the same thing for your mind and your emotions? That has an effect on you as well because that takes a toll on you. But what we've learned over the years is that that's a sign of weakness. You can't mm-hmm. show that, you know, you're crazy. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Well, yeah, I ain't saying anything's wrong with you, but can you improve? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. You're you're you're, you're surviving. You're living. Uh, a lot of people in our community, we've been so downtrodden, and we've been so traumatized over the years. People look at it, and we always say, "Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is." And you know, hey, we live like this, and it ain't as bad for me as it was for my mom. It ain't as bad for my mom as it was for. But you know what? The thing is, can it be better for us? Yeah. Can it be just because guess what other people do? They go to their therapist and they mm-hmm. talk. About it. It's about self-improvement. And once we realize it's about self-improvement and it's not about being crazy and it's not about being weak, we are going to get better and we're going to grow as not only individuals, but as a community. And that's the only way we'll be able to do it. So here's the, the important thing. And I'll tell you two things. What you're doing by using your podcast, by using your platform, by admitting Hey, yeah, therapy's, I go to therapy and therapy's good for me and I embrace it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to tell uh, my fears, uh, my pain, my thought, my traumas, whatnot. I'm not afraid to let that go. I don't have to tell the world, but I'm going to tell somebody because now you see the way I was three years ago. Look how I walk. Look how my, the brightness in my face. You see the happiness and then you won't tolerate certain things. And there are going to be certain people in your life when you go through therapy that you're going to realize, hey, this person is trauma. This person yeah. is toxic. And I can't be around that toxicity. You know what I'm saying? I got to get away from that because I want to better myself. Now, if you want to come with me and get better yourself, we can continue that. But maybe our season is over and we're not meant to be a lifetime. That's one way. Continue to move that way and be the example. The second way is other people who go to therapy have to be your cheerleader. They have to back you up. They have to be this fist. Think about this. There are a lot of people in this country, in this world, who years ago would never admit like uh, I was sexually assaulted. They felt alone. Yeah. Felt like they were alone until social media came along and said, oh, me too. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. So when you aren't afraid to admit, hey, I have a therapist and other people see that, oh, man, Stanford got a therapist. Oh, man, he's a good man. Oh, he don't seem weak. He's a strong man. Oh, my God. And you see, oh, you see the improvement in his life. You see how he grows, man. That's the example. Secondly, when you so when you get those people who continue to build that up and admit that and other people encouraging, that's one thing. But I'm going to tell you the main thing for black men to be able to go to therapy and do it in peace. Black women are the most important piece 
for us when it goes comes to therapy. I'll say this. Good point. Say, yes, good point. Man, when it comes to a black woman or a woman in general, women run this world when it comes to men. Guess the thing, <laughs> the, the amount of the percentage of the things that we do in this world has something to do with the acceptance of a woman. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Haircut every week. Yep. For us. Women will get their hair done for each other, but men won't do it. You think oh, we no. buy these cars I get, yeah. and all this? I ain't getting my haircut for for uh, for what men think. No, of course yeah, not. Uh-uh. Now, now, if you do it for another man and you like that, that's okay. Yeah. That's it's okay with that. I ain't got nothing real. But once again, it's still for the acceptance of somebody that you Absolutely. admire, that you want to love in a certain type of way. You understand yep. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So do you think you get dripped out and you want to have money and have these <laughs> nice cars and nice houses and everything to impress your boys? Maybe a little bit, but no, you want to be fly for that woman. Yeah. You know what I'm so if you're doing this and a woman says, oh, that is so wonderful that you're taking care of your mental health. That is so, I'm talking about beautiful women, women that's out there and everything. That, oh, that, I love a man who can be vulnerable. When, when you start hearing that, more men will say, well, damn, oh, okay. And I'm not talking about the toxic men. They need to work, they need to work on themselves because yep. of toxic masculinity. And if it doesn't, if they don't do that, if they do the opposite, if women do the opposite and don't allow a man to show his emotions, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna, he's hold gonna it, clam up. He's gonna clam up yep. and it's be inside of him. And guess who it's gonna affect? It's gonna the affect woman. the woman that he's with. And guess what they call that? Toxic masculinity. Uh-huh. So you need to encourage that man to let that steam go every now and then, because if he holds it inside, it's going to boil over sooner or later. And then all of a sudden he's going because he's got all this stuff on the outside world. So women, I'm telling you, you want to see a better society for black men, especially for men, period. Please encourage men to take up mental therapy, mental health therapy. I'm serious. It will make all of us better.